Hey, welcome to episode number seven of the Outpitch Podcast, your new home for the human side of baseball and social issues. My name is Justin Havelock, and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host and friend, Crystal O'Keefe. Crystal, how have you been this week? Hey, I've I've been pretty good. How about you? Oh, I've been great. Um, I know we've both been on the road this week doing a bit of traveling, so it's it's nice to be home, but it's been an amazing week. Yeah, good. Yeah, I... I know I watched my White Sox lose to the Reds at Great American Ballpark, but that's okay because I didn't like the starting pitcher, and I was there with friends, and I had really good ice cream, so that's really what matters the most, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But you, you made an even bigger trip. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I went all down to uh, New York City for the past week uh, for the PitcherList meetup getting to meet some amazing people, have an amazing time, got to a lot of baseball. I went to a Mets game at City Field against the Rockies and then the Yankees against the Oakland A's as well, which we'll be talking about a little bit later in the podcast. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's it's just amazing to be able to hang out with some amazing people. I met so many great people friends that I know in the Discord and was getting to meet for the first time in person, um, and new friends, new people that I'd never spoken to before, but it was great to meet them anyways and to make some new friends. So it was really an amazing trip. I am so glad to hear it. One day I'm going to actually make it out to a pitcher list meetup, but I will at least be there in New York. So Nick, if you're listening, let's chill in July. Definitely. And yeah, I know Nick and I, uh, we've definitely floated the idea of a petulous meetup north of the border. So that may be a, a thing as well. If you're interested in that, stay tuned and make sure you have your uh, PL Plus membership so that you can get more info on that because it, it really was an amazing time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your passports, it's going to be north of the border. Definitely. You don't want to forget those. We're, we're nice up here, but you still need that to cross the border. I will say, when I crossed the border to get to Canada, they were some of the friendliest people ever. And then coming back into the States, they were so mean. And I was like, why did I leave this magical land of nice people? Yeah. Yeah, I I was really lucky. I had a couple hiccups on my way home flying back to Toronto from New York. And it, it was just so great to be flying into Canada because everybody was, I mean, on both sides of the border, really, everybody was so so friendly. Um, but yeah, it, it was great. You know, shout out to all the hardworking staff at the airport that helped me get home okay. Yes, we appreciate that. Oh, so what we got? We've, we've got a bunch of baseball coverage. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I know we'll have some more uh, warm fuzzies to get into later on. But first of all, to lead off this week, tying in with last week's episode that we did on teams that may need to change their names. We have a few animals over the last week that seem to have been eager to have a team named after them. I know there was a skunk in the outfield in Harrisburg, the Washington Nationals AA team. And then we also had a squirrel zigzagging all over the infield in Reading, Pennsylvania. That's the Phillies AA team. So it seems like some of these animals have been listening to the podcast and are trying to throw their names into the ring for some replacements for some of the teams that are more problematic right now, let's call it. 
Yes. I love when any animal manages to get on the field. I know recently the White Sox had ducks on the field and a, a cat had managed to get in somehow. And just, I think it's hilarious. There was that one that was a rally cat. I think it was last season, the season before. Yep. I just think it's hilarious personally. More animals. Ball. Yeah, there's so many different mascots in baseball that are based off of animals. So it's really great to see that we've got some animals getting to enjoy the games themselves. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so this this from earlier this week made me actually laugh out loud. Mookie Betts was in Milwaukee for a series against the Brewers, and he stayed at an Airbnb because he did not want to stay at the Fister Hotel that is allegedly a very haunted hotel in Milwaukee. And I've heard, I've heard stories, um, but he said just in case the ghost stories are true, <laughs> he did not want to stay at this hotel. So <laughs> I love this. Um, as a big ghosty loving person, I just think this. I would I would have stayed obviously, but I love that he was like, nope. <laughs> just in case, I'm I'm out of here. This is not going to be The Shining again. <laughs> oh yeah, I know uh, you and I are both uh, horror and Halloween fans, so I, I think that might have been a selling point for us, but. Uh, baseball players are superstitious, so that's a really fun one to hear that Mookie Betts did that. I, I can't say that I blame him, because like I said, all my Milwaukee friends, they're like, yeah, the place is really haunted. I've heard horrible things about it, so, you know, good for him. He wasn't haunted, and he got a good night's sleep for that series. No haunts. Yeah, I may have to take my next vacation there. Unfortunately... Something that may not have given you a good night's sleep last night happened <laughs> in Chicago. Yes. So the White Sox lost, you know, their series. The, the Royals beat them up. They won three of the four games. Last night it was actually tied at the very end. It was exciting. <laughs> Freddie Furman hit a walk-off bunt because that's a thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know... They, there were runners in the corners, so they really just needed to advance and get those bases loaded, but Ronaldo Lopez was not able to scoop it up in time to make any kind of out, and so they scored a run and walked it off and won 4-3 to three in one of the most humiliating endings I've seen as a White Sox fan in the longest time. I mean, this whole season has been embarrassing, but this one was just brutal. I mean... The Royals are in last place in our division. Yeah, walk-off bunt to arguably the worst team in baseball, if not bottom three. That's a, a very hard way to come out of a series. Speaking of uh, some better teams in baseball right now, uh, we had a very fun milestone I wanted to talk about this week. Kenley Jansen pitched his 400th career save. Uh, putting him right at the top of the leaderboard all time. Uh, there's an amazing article on Pitcher List that you should go check out by Nate Kosher, uh, breaking down some of his coolest saves throughout his career. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that, had a good read of that at the airport. So definitely be sure to check that out. And I mean, while you're there on Pitcher List, uh, make sure to check out some of the news and moments articles that I've been putting out by 
our lovely Crystal O'Keefe and uh, one of my new friends from New York, Asher, as well. They do some really great content and there's some really fun stories. I love there's always something that I just didn't see pop up on my Twitter feed or something very goofy and fun that comes up. So it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. I also, I did talk about Kenley Jansen and he was the, he was just the seventh player in baseball history to reach that number. So that's a pretty exclusive club and the video they, I mean, they, the team surprised him with this video of like, you know, teammates, both, both past and present, his parents, his grandparents. It was just, it was so sweet. Yeah, that was, that was so nice to see. It's always so great when you've got some of these players that get to share some of that emotion with someone special. I know actually, as we record the podcast right now, we've got Yuri Perez, who made his major league debut tonight for the Miami Marlins. And there was a great little video that they put out where Sandy Alcantara made a surprise appearance for his call-up. And they you know, sat him down. They wanted to go over some of his mechanics. And he's a, a hard worker, quite the grinder. So he was ready to just get into the weeds. And Sandy Alcantara popped up saying, uh, hey, you ready to join me and come pitch with me in the majors? And it was just you know, it's always so great to see players getting to share those moments with their teammates. Yeah, those videos always just completely break me down. They're just adorable. We also have horrible news <laughs> a few times here. Um, Drew Rasmussen was just placed on the 60-day injured list with a flexor strain. This comes just, you know, less than 24 hours really after his seven shutout innings against the Yankees. And then more injury, we have Aloy Jimenez had an emergency appendectomy in Cincinnati over, you know, this weekend, which I was there. I had just parked and found out that he had been scratched and was in the hospital in Cincinnati. And I was like, well, what hospital? I'll go, I'll go visit. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I made the joke about him having too much Skyline chili because that is terrible. Sorry, Cincinnati people, but it's bad. And then, yeah. <laughs> His appendix is almost ready to burst. So, woof. And then um, the last one, Vita Blue, he passed away at 73. I, I hope people are familiar with him. Um, he did lead the A's to three straight World Series titles before his career was derailed. He had some drug problems. Um, obviously, he's he's good. He's good now, but unfortunately, that did happen. He also was voted as the American League Cy Young and MVP in 1971 after going 24 and 8 with an ERA of 1.82 and 301 strikeouts. And during that season, he also threw 24 complete games, eight of them being shutouts, and you know played for over 17 seasons. I you know shared a really nice article that I was reading about him that really highlights his baseball career. Um, so I would, you know, advise everybody to read that and learn more about him. I know the A's just the other day posted a really nice um, memorial for him during the game. Um, Cause you know, that's kind of their, their legacy player was, was Vita blue. Um, he was just, he was such a good player. So it's sad to see that he, he did pass away at 73. 
I, I agree. It was very sad to hear that news. And uh, like you said, he was a, a complicated human being, but a, a great baseball player. And it's a, a really sad loss for a fan base that's already been through so much already this season and doesn't have a ton of bright spots. Um, so yeah, like you said, definitely check out that article and, and learn more about him if you aren't already familiar with his story. Yeah, it, it really goes into depth and breaks down just so many highlights of his career. He was just such, such a good player. So please read it. Yeah. And uh, something else that happened this week on a bit of a, a lighter note, I know there was a very fun moment uh, during the San Diego Padres po- um, broadcast last week with Blake Snell and some of the commentators in San Diego, because um, it seems like apparently none of them are particularly familiar with uh, WRC+. Plus. Uh, there's a great little sound by I enjoyed from that clip that I'll make sure to share in the description and on our Twitter as well, where one of the commentators had said, oh, it stands for Weighted Runs Created. And Snell asked, well, what's the plus mean then? And he said, well, plus, it, it means that's, it's a plus. It's a good thing. That is unfortunately not true. So I wanted to give a quick breakdown for our listeners of what WRC Plus actually means. WRC Plus stands for Weighted Runs Created. And the plus is not necessarily a positive. It is essentially an adjustment factor. It's how we look at external factors like ballpark or ERA. I know the example that is used on MLB.com is that a player who plays their home games at Coors Field, which is obviously as hitter-friendly that you can get, will have a lower WRC plus than a player who posts the same numbers at Oakland Coliseum, which is on the other end of the spectrum. So it's essentially just a pure metric to analyze how well a hitter is or isn't doing. Uh, I know war is a much more popular one that a lot of people might be more familiar with. Uh, War has its own complications that we could maybe do an entire episode on, but it's just essentially measuring how many runs a player is creating per plate appearance and then modifying it by the park factor, by ERA, et cetera, um, in order to try and give you the best analysis on which players are creating the most offense for their teams. And then, of course, with Team WRC Plus does the same thing as to which teams are creating uh, the most runs and to be able to compare players that are playing in different ballparks against different pitching. It's one of the unique things that we have to deal with in baseball is that this isn't hockey where you can argue that all goals are created equally, which they may or may not be, but in baseball, we can't even begin to make that argument. Uh, Oswaldo Cabrera, I know, is a player that has a 43 WRC+, plus, which you know maybe the Padres commentators think is a good thing, but is definitely well below league average. Typically, uh, if we're looking for fantasy purposes or even just players that you know may be in the starting lineup or earning their way out of a platoon situation, uh, you're looking at around a, a 90 to 100 WRC plus, and then anything over about 120 or so puts you more in the all-star or MVP kind of range. So that's just something I want to share with our audience, give people a quick primer so that they're familiar with what this stat is, because apparently not everybody is. Yeah. Also, I will say there's a, a great 
Twitter account that I love called Would It Dong, and this will give you a good idea about what ballparks are going to be more hitter-friendly because it basically will say, you know, anybody who hits a home run, they go through, they give you the exit velocity, the launch angle, projected distance, and then if it would be a dinger in these ballparks. So, you know, like, for instance, Yankees ballpark, Randy uh, hit a beautiful home run, 422 feet, and it would be a home run in all 30 ballparks, whereas some it could only, like, another example, Nathan Lowe versus Sam Long um, at the A's Stadium. It was a flyout, but it would it would only have been a home run in one ballpark. So again, this it's just a funny, it's a bot, but it's it's a great account for actually kind of figuring out what parks are more hitter friendly, so that you can familiarize yourself with that stat a little better. Definitely, it, it's a great account, a great visualization tool. I know I always enjoy seeing it, and it pops up in our Discord all the time when somebody hits a home run or sometimes even doesn't hit a home run that we feel maybe should have been one. And yeah, that's very much what WRC Plus is trying to do is just analyze the same thing may not happen in every ballpark. So this is kind of a way of, you know, introducing a more kind of neutral set of statistics that allow us to look at which players are creating offense without the ballpark they play in or the pitching that they're facing weighing too heavily in those numbers. So I just wanted to give a little breakdown of that. Please do feel free uh, to tweet at Blake Snell and tag him with this uh, so that we can help him understand. That's, you know, the, the goal is not to, you know, stat shame anyone here. We don't want, you know, we don't want anyone to feel upset that they didn't know these stats. We're all learning. We're all on that journey together. But just to give him a bit of a chance to educate himself on a new stat that, you know, maybe will help him with some of his preparation that he can look at the WRC plus of some of the hitters that he has to face or against lefties and righties and know how to prepare better. So uh, I will definitely be tagging him with this podcast. And please, if you can find him on social media, feel free to send us to Blake Snell and we'll try and get it out there for him. Yeah. Stats are hard. I mean, I write usually about two to three articles about stats from White Sox game every single week. And there is still sometimes I'm just like, what does that even mean? Because, you know, it's a new one or I just haven't shared anything about it in a long time. Stats are hard. Don't don't feel bad if you don't know it. But yeah, tag Blake Snell. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. Stats are difficult and there are so many of them. We've got hundreds, literally hundreds of stats in baseball these days. And as you mentioned, we're introducing new stats all of the time. So it's very difficult to stay on top of and familiarize with yourself with everything. So make sure you stay tuned to the podcast so that we can help keep you up to date and make sure that if a new stat comes your way that you're not familiar with, that we can do our best to break it down for you. Yeah, they're overwhelming. So don't feel like an underdog learning them. Very clever. That's a, a great segue into our next segment, our uh, underdogs of the week. Um, I know I wanted to talk about a player that I got to see in New York, actually, while I was there with a very good writer from Pitcher List and good friend, Asher Dreidel. 
and that would be Ian Hamilton. Uh, he's a reliever for the New York Yankees. He's a 27-year-old right-handed pitcher who's got a 135 ERA, 0.85 whip, and 25 strikeouts in 20 innings this year, which are some pretty incredible numbers. Uh, he actually earned his first save and then his first hold, actually, at the game that we went to. So he seems to be working his way into more high leverage roles. You know, I'm a big Michael King fan, but watching him in person, Ian Hamilton is a player that I think could definitely work into some more high leverage situations going forward, either as the Yankees setup man or as their closer, because they seem to be struggling to figure out that bullpen. And it's not, you know, we've talked about this a bit before on the podcast. This isn't the usual dominant New York Yankees that we're used to seeing. And I think he could be a very big piece on getting that back on the right track. He's got a really big 95.7 mile an hour fastball with a nasty slider and a pretty decent sinker too. He was a nice heavy ground ball pitcher. He's got a 24% K minus BB. This is a guy who's got some real raw tools and the Yankees are one of the best teams in baseball at developing those raw players into a player that becomes a household name down the line. So definitely an underdog and a name to keep an eye on going forward. So who do you have for your underdog of the week this week, Crystal? I have this underdog, Willow, who won't stop barking. <laughs> um, no, but I also, I picked Chris Sale. So there's all, I mean, there's always a lot of drama around him you know he's he's constantly injured he takes a very long time to heal and then he will re-injure himself by you know smashing a tv in the in the clubhouse but you know whatever i try to look past some of that because i i do still love him as a player um but you know he, he just came back he's finally kind of back in that red sox starting rotation and he seems to be kind of back on a on the right track. Like he's actually, his numbers don't necessarily show it, but he's been playing pretty well. Um, you know, he's he's got a he's got a high ERA, but he's pitched you know thirty five innings. He's had forty five strikeouts. He's had I wrote two, but actually it's three wins um, just so far this season out of and two losses. But um, like he's. He's having a, a good year for the Red Sox, and I really hope he stays on this path because, you know, he, he does take a long time on the injured list. You know, he had, he had Tommy John surgery. It took him 17 months to be ready to play again when normally that surgery, it's usually about a 12-month recovery period. And I noted, you know, in comparison, Bryce Harper had that surgery late August and was back to the Phillies five months later, again, despite that recovery mm-hmm. time. So, you know, Chris Sale was reading an article about how he was kind of just blown away by, you know, the athleticism of Bryce Harper and how quickly he was able to come back because, you know, at 34 and constantly kind of being injured, it, it's, it's a battle for him for sure. So that's my hope and that he can – finished out really strong this year because he's a great pitcher. He's always been a great pitcher. Like his rookie year, he exceeded 
so much. Like he was great. Um, so yeah, I just, he's been an underdog. He's always injury prone, but I think he's finally clicking back into like the condor I know love. So I just, I want him to have a good year and I think he's going to get there. For sure. Injuries we know are much more difficult to come back from as you start to get older. And I know you mentioned that he's injury prone, but I mean, how many pitchers over the age of 30 aren't injury prone at that point in their career? Your body is taking on so much mileage. You're exerting so much pressure on yourself physically uh, to stay in the best shape possible, to throw these crazy forcing fastballs it's really a challenge to maintain that for such a long period of time. So it, it's definitely something, you know, we wish him all the best. Hopefully he can get right soon and continue to be successful because, you know, when he's on his A game and not having those meltdowns we mentioned, he's a very talented, fun pitcher. Yeah, just quit hitting TVs and just get out there and pitch, please. I love you. Be good. Yeah, Definitely. So uh, without further ado, let's get into today's deep dive. Today, we're going to be talking about the Stonewall Inn, a place I just got to visit recently while I was in New York and had an absolute phenomenal time at. Uh, for people that aren't familiar, this is a gay bar in the Greenwich Village area, and it's got a very interesting history that I'll get into in a bit, but First, I wanted to just tell you all about the bar itself, because I know some of its history tends to overshadow just what it actually is as a place. And I have to say, from the moment that I walked in, it was clear to me that this is just a very fun and lively place to be. Uh, the bar itself has you know, a pool table, and it's got all these flags above the bar, over a dozen different ones with different... Uh, all kinds of different pride flags, some that I didn't even recognize. You know, I was counting, you know, there's the traditional pride flag. We've got the trans pride flag. We've got the bisexual one, the one for people of color, for asexuals, and then all kinds of ones that I myself uh, weren't familiar with. And, um, you know, it was really interesting to see they've got gender neutral washrooms, of course, which hopefully we're moving in a direction that everyone will have those soon enough. Uh, they have a TV that was playing queer films. Um, and it was really cool because some of them I was watching a little bit in the background were actually foreign language films, which kind of makes sense because normally when you're at a bar, you can't sit there and watch a movie because you can't hear what's going on. And with these foreign language films, you at least get the closed captions and the subtitles. So you're actually able to follow a little bit of what's going on and to learn about some movies that you wouldn't otherwise be familiar with. I mean, you know, I of course have immersed myself in queer culture quite a bit over the years and uh, there were all kinds of films that I didn't recognize. One playing that was called El Hour, which seemed very interesting. I will certainly be going back and rewatching now that I'm home and settled in. Um, and yeah, it was just a very fun place to be. They had little, sock puppets on all the taps um, for the draft beer and complimentary popcorn with M&Ms. Everyone was just so friendly and so welcoming. It, it's 
a really fun place to be. And I really wanted to emphasize that to people. Yeah, I am really excited. That's kind of the first thing on my to-do list. When I get there, I have a free day and I'm heading straight to Stonewall. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you'll have an incredible time. I know I did. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the history that I mentioned before. Uh, for people that may not be familiar, uh, the Stonewall Inn was actually the site of the Stonewall Riots back in 1969, June 28th, 1969. Unfortunately, back in these days, police raids on gay bars were a very common thing to happen. Uh, it was illegal to serve gay people alcohol, even as recently as the late 60s and 70s. It was illegal for gay people to even dance with each other. Typically, the Stonewall Inn was a bar that had some connections and would get a bit of a heads up when these police raids were happening. Uh, but June 28th, 1969, uh, the police decided to raid Stonewall without you know, that kind of unofficial heads up. Uh, customers were lined up, had their ID checked. Anyone without ID, anybody that was in drag was arrested. You know, women wearing clothing that was deemed masculine could be arrested. Several of the employees and management that were working that night were also arrested. And there were a lot of people within that bar that were just so sick of these events happening and sick of being treated as second-class citizens. And so they decided to take a stand. And quite a few people, specifically, it's very important to note because this sometimes gets lost within the history of the Stonewall Riots. A lot of transgender people, gender nonconforming people, and drag queens especially took a stand and refused to show their ID knowing that they would be arrested. They refused to cooperate with the police, were brought down to the police station there were protesters that had gathered just, you know, with this big crowd of people being arrested outside of Stonewall and the queer community nearby knowing what Stonewall was, how important it was to that community. Within minutes, apparently about 150 people had gathered outside the bar and started protesting, turn over, turning over police cars and trying to you know, protect and help some of the people that were being arrested. This is a very important part of our history. It's something that I know so many people have referred to as a real milestone in queer rights in terms of what this meant for the queer community and the fight for queer rights. And I know it's something that has been taken up all across the world. It's had a real international impact as well. I know myself planning this trip to New York. It was one of the first things that I put on my list. So even for me as a Canadian, not being a part of the New York queer community, there's this you know, international and global queer community that really has been affected by this. And it had a huge impact on shaping queer rights all across the world. Yeah, that's so well said. Um, I know, and this kind of ties in to the baseball thing, um, with a league of their own. And I mean, they really highlight it in the actual series where, you know, the, the players are all kind of down in this speakeasy queer friendly bar and 
Rosie O'Donnell is back in it. You know, she's she's obviously in the movie and then she plays the bar owner. And that bar gets just violently raided. And I mean, it's just the scene. It's just shot so well because you, I mean, it, it feels real. It's, it's just a really tough scene to get through um, because of just how unkind, mm-hmm. you know, police were to the queer community. I mean, they still are. It, it's still not any better, but it really kind of showcases how hard it was, you know, back in the 60s, even the 70s, to just try to, to be yourself and go out and have fun. And, you know, I I do enjoy that scene, and I enjoy kind of the shots of the bar. You know, they go in, and there's a nice little nod to, you know, a friend of Dorothy, because they're, they're playing The Wizard of Oz on the TVs in the bar, and it's just, it's such a, a good kind of beautiful scene that made me so emotional because of just how realistic it was. And it was kind of like a really, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it was like a really great nod to Stonewall and what took place there and how brutal it was, especially back then. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, for people that don't know, the Stonewall riots, June 28th, 1969, like I said, this is the whole reason why Pride Month is in June. This is something that has had such a huge impact on the fight for queer rights, on queer representation all across the world. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this before we actually got into Pride Month so that people could have a bit of a chance to learn about it, to educate themselves and um, to hear some of the stories that are out there because you know, like I said, it was a real landmark moment for the queer community. And it's something that I think we need to stop necessarily putting the responsibility on the queer community to be educating our allies. You know, it's it's something I've told a very fine line and in conversations with friends that people will ask me about, you know, oh well, why does why is Pride Month in June? And I'll mention, oh, well, it's because of the Stonewall Riots. I've I've never heard of that. What is it? It you know, it's always great to engage the people you know and to take the opportunities that you have to ask questions and to inform yourselves. But like I said, there's a fine line there where people also need to be informing themselves and being more willing to put in some of the work. You know, we we talked a bit about stats earlier. Uh, So, you know, I ran the numbers in Canada, the most recent numbers have 13% of the population as identifying as queer and Obviously, we know not everybody's out of the closet. Not everybody's comfortable identifying themselves. So that number is likely quite a bit higher. But just working with that statistic, what that means is out of 7 billion people roughly on this planet, 910 million uh, identify as queer following that same statistic. So that means that by allies not necessarily taking some of that responsibility on themselves to educate themselves, we're relying on 910 million people to educate the other 6.1 billion people on the planet. That's a really big weight putting on such a small group of people. So it's, please engage the people around you. I'm sure many of the queer people you know want to have some of these conversations to share their thoughts or their experiences and to help educate you. But you know, people need to be willing to step up and make the effort and okay you know what thank you for telling me that i I saw a documentary about that 
on Netflix, I'm going to go home and watch that so that we can have this conversation again when you know I've learned a bit more about this instead of just putting that entire weight on the queer community. Yeah, one thing I'm proud of, uh, after my cousin came out, my aunt actually went and um, we went to their very first Pride. And I was there kind of as the emotional support cousin because this was not my first Pride rodeo. But it was nice because my aunt, it, it seemed like she was truly learning more about it while she was there because, you know, not everybody's going to be familiar. Even, you know, us in the queer community yep. aren't familiar. You mentioned like you didn't even know what some of those flags meant. So, like, I mean, we're all still learning, but definitely if you want to say that you're an ally to this community, you, you've got to do some work, like be like my aunt who was genuinely curious and was asking, you know, more thoughtful questions and, she also stayed and watched Lizzo perform. So that was really fun. <laughs> she just, I, I think it was a bit of a, a culture shock to her. But I also think she was able to understand my cousin a little bit more and really understand what being queer meant to them and to me and to everything else. So I think it's great when you can just engage yourself and not just say, Hey, what's this? What does that flag represent? Because, I mean, I'm going to tell you anyway, but it, it is nice to have people that, that truly understand you, even if they are not a part of that community, which, I mean, it means more to, it means so much to me when people do, you know, say they're an ally and they are very supportive. Um yeah, you just got to do your best. Go to go to Pride. It's a blast. You learn so many things when you're there, no matter what. And maybe you see Lizzo because I saw her like right before she got really, really big. It was so fun. Yeah, for sure. That's that's an excellent point, and it's it's really something where, like you said, we we can all be better. You know, I myself am not. An, an expert or a you know queer historian or anything of that nature. Um, I don't have like a bachelor's degree in queer studies. Uh, this is just a part of who I am. And so it's something I've done my best to inform myself on. And that's, I think, all we really want mm -hmm. from other people is to put forward their best into educating themselves. And, you know, I know I've had some conversations recently with people about pronouns and how meaningful it can be to put pronouns in your bios and especially as a cisgender person to show that allyship. It's the kind of thing that to so many people that see that it's not going to mean anything. You know, they, they just see it and they read it and they move on and they're not really attached to that. Mm -hmm. To the small percentage of people that it does mean something to, it's going to make a world of difference. And it can really, especially in spaces that may not be or historically haven't been safe for queer people, that can have a huge impact. Yeah. And I will say one of the like biggest and most helpful things to do is to start getting into the routine of asking someone what their pronouns are. I know I have had to correct a lot of people when, you know, talking about not necessarily me, but, you know, friends I've had to kind of privately message someone during a, a call and say, hey, their pronouns are they, them, please refer to them as that from here on out. And um, 
it makes a big difference because when you feel accepted and when you get to answer that question to someone, it, it feels like they are genuinely asking you and being respectful because nobody wants to be misgendered. It it sucks. It's not fun. You know, I I wear, usually I'll wear a pin. It's on my leather jacket. So when I'm like going out to like a concert or something and I have it on, I have like a pin that says she, they. So if somebody wants to approach me, they'll know and it's right there. But it's it's just a wonderful thing. And that's just kind of how you start. You You ask their pronouns and I mean, you you don't have to dive deep into what these people are interested in, but just that's just the easiest first step you could take. Definitely. I, I know it's something that I've seen a lot of people myself struggling with uh, understanding using the correct pronouns and how important that can be to people. And it's, like I said, it's a very small step that can have a, a very large impact on people. I know I've seen many, many things on Twitter recently about people that have been opening up and sharing some of their stories about what it feels like to be uh, misgendered. And that's not limited to the trans community. If we you know, take it upon ourselves to kind of prejudge a person based on their appearance and how they might identify themselves, there will be cases where you encounter somebody who is a cisgender man or woman who you're then misgendering as well. And, you know, I'm not going to say that that's anywhere near as hurtful or impactful as it might be for the people that are gender non-conforming, but this can affect anybody. And that kind of language or just general mentality towards life can have such a large impact and affect so many more people than you might realize. Yeah. Between that and, you know, still dead naming people. These kind of things are so incredibly awful. And if you're not familiar with dead naming, it is just using someone's previous name that they no longer use. And it's it's very common in, you know, transgender community, obviously. As people are transitioning, they often like to, you know, pick a, a name that they identify with better instead of, you know, their their birth given name. So these are just really big things, you know, if if you're aware of someone who has recently changed their name, please call them by their new name. They don't they don't want to hear the dead name and they don't want you to misgender them. So those I mean, that's just basic, you know, common courtesy. Yeah. And I know it's something that unfortunately some people are still struggling with. I remember when Elliot Page transitioned that there were a lot of people that were really struggling with the idea of calling him Elliot. And I, I remember, you know, joining a lot of people on Twitter that said a very similar thing where it's like, how can this be so difficult or unacceptable to you? Yet a, a popular singer goes by the name Meatloaf. That you're fine with, but you draw the line at Elliot. Yeah. Or just like the other thing I noticed people have these issues like Someone gets married and they change their last name, and it's so easy to just start calling them by that name. Yep. Even though they've been, you know, they've had their maiden name their entire life, but that is never an issue. You can easily just call someone, oh, Mrs. blah, blah, blah. And if you can do that, you should be able to call somebody by the name that they want. Definitely. I know there are lots of people in Hollywood that go by. A, a stage name or 
just a name that isn't the name that they were born with. I mean, again, it's the smallest thing that people are asking is just to be called by the right name, to be called by the right set of pronouns. And um, I mean, it ties in perfectly with this conversation about Stonewall is that all people are asking is the right to be treated equally and fairly and have the, the same experiences. I, I had such a great time when I went to the Stonewall Inn, and that's why I really wanted to have this conversation about not just the the Stonewall riots, this point, this one point in history. That's a very important point of history and really needs to be recognized and discussed more. But let's not just look at this bar as that point in history. When I first told people that I was going there, so many people I know were surprised. Oh, I, I thought that closed down decades ago. No, no, it's not only still around, it's thriving. It is very much alive and fun. It's actually been declared a national historic site and was the first place in the US to be deemed a national historic right based on its contributions to the queer community. And that was as recently as 2016. So I think that, you know, that's an interesting point about how far we've come, but some of the progress that we still need to make. And these conversations can be difficult, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of fun. And like I said, a lot of life to this community. You know, when I went into the Stonewall Inn, they they had their own IPA, which I had, by the way, and it is delicious. I'm from Ontario. We are very proud of our craft beers here. And while I am myself, I'm not a very heavy drinker, I do enjoy a craft beer. And this one, really, it's it's something that back home we would have been quite proud to call our own. They've got their own merchandise, the t-shirt that I'm wearing, if people can't see, that says Stonewall 1969, 69 for the riots, not for any other possible thing that you might think of. The the music that was playing in the bar, they had, you know, Daydream Believer and Can't Take My Eyes Off You that just came on and everybody instantly, oh, this is my song and started singing along and not just like the couple of bars that they know, the whole song. You know, there was a piano bar upstairs. You know, this wasn't even in the piano bar. This was just on the main floor, people just having a drink at the bar and heard a song they like and decided to sing the whole thing. You go upstairs, there's a piano bar. If you've never been, I myself had not. Um, it's kind of like live karaoke meets a sing-along where you know the audience is kind of singing along instead of just the person on stage doing the karaoke. And people were singing Disney songs and Adele songs, uh, some of which are still stuck in my head. Uh, very happily, I should add, um, there was this big finish to I Will Survive, which has become an anthem for the queer community. person playing the piano had what has to be the most full tip jar I've ever seen. It was quite a large tip jar in the first place. And by the time they left, there were bills falling out. A couple people were kind of staying behind to help pick up some of the bills that had uh, fallen outside of the tip jar because... There, everyone was just having such a great time and you know the bartenders were singing along coming out not just singing behind the bar coming out from behind the bar to sing the little mermaid i mean there were pride flags hanging down the ceiling like you know you'd see retired jerseys up in the rafters at a baseball game and it, it's just it so embodies that queer spirit of fun and friendliness but also that 
boldness to be yourself regardless of, you know, what other people might say about you. So I really, really enjoyed myself. And if anybody hasn't been to Stonewall, um, I strongly encourage you to check it out, especially if you're listening and you live in New York. This is for everyone. You know, it's not just for the queer community. This is for our allies as well. And I know people would just love to have you there. You know, I didn't know anybody. I went just by myself. And the second I walked in, you know, the bartender, hey, come on over. You know, what do you want to drink? And, uh, you know, like that scene from Cheers. You know, if you want a bar where everybody knows your name, go to Stonewall, you know, introduce yourself. The next time you go, it'll be like your local Cheers or you know, if you're not in New York, go check out a local gay bar because it's, you know, like I said, it's not just for the queer community and it's something that is so much fun if you haven't experienced it before. Yeah, I, we've got some great ones down here. I know I've taken like female friends to like a more, you know, lesbian friendly bar and they're like, I haven't been hit on. This is amazing. And I'm like, I know, right? I mean, you might, but you're pretty, but no, you're, you don't have like a creepy guy trying to grind on you. It's, it's way more chill. Definitely. Everyone's just there to have a good time and to be somewhere where they can be themselves without any consequences for that. I love it. So I know one other thing I wanted to talk about here is uh, the Stonewall Gives Back initiative, which I strongly encourage people to check out. Um, it's a nonprofit. I actually, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm not an expert on any of this. I just learned about this myself when I was at Stonewall. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to go to learn. So this is a nonprofit that runs awareness campaigns, educational programs. They have a safe spaces certification for local businesses, uh, scholarships, concerts. I know we talked about before we recorded, there was a surprise concert that Taylor Swift gave at the Stonewall Inn. So if you need any more incentive, if you're a Taylor Swift fan, go check the Stonewall Inn because Taylor Swift might randomly decide to show up. She did live really close too. She lived on Cornelia Street forever and that's like a mile away from Stonewall. Yeah, so you never know who you might run into there. And I mean, the Stonewall Gives Back initiative also has some great merchandise. You know, I mentioned that, you know, I got the shirt that I'm wearing um, at the Stonewall Inn. You can also, they have a, store online as well where you can buy some of their merchandise so if you like the shirt i'm wearing and want to pick up one of their baseball tees for yourself you can definitely do that wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> um and you can also check out if you'd prefer something with a more charity based focus you can check out the stonewall gives back initiative because they have a little bit of merchandise themselves like i saw uh online they have a stonewall in bow tie with little pride flags on it you get a piece of Stonewall Inn merchandise and the proceeds go to charity. Who doesn't like that? It's a win for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And that, that charity is great. Um, you know, it, you put it in here, it, it offers a safe space because I don't think anybody realizes just how even just mentally exhausting things can be. You know, you're, you're getting bullied or you're getting dead named and it can lead you down a really dark path. Um, so, you know, they want to educate people. They want to be that good, friendly place for everyone um, so that, you know, these things just stop happening because, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic that it's even a thing and that 
people are getting bullied and they're not feeling safe, you know, even in their own homes, they're not feeling safe. For sure. Like you mentioned, the safe spaces are so, so important. And if if people aren't familiar with those safe spaces certifications, I strongly encourage you to go online and check that out. If you have a business, it's definitely something worth looking at for your business and looking at some of the practices. It's, it's all about best practices. What are we doing and how can we find ways to be more inclusive and help not only our customers, but maybe some of our employees, maybe you work somewhere where it's like, oh, well, you know, there's no one queer at the place that you work. And it's like, is that necessarily the case? Or are there queer employees that simply don't feel that they're able to be themselves because of uh, the environment that's presented? So, you know, if you have a business or, you know, wherever you work for, I definitely encourage people to check that out and to pass it up the food chain. It's something that every business should have you know, hopefully it's something people do out of the goodness of their heart. But, you know, I know there's also a financial impact that, you know, a lot of people do like to talk about the purchasing power that the queer community has. Um, I mean, any time that you advertise that you have a safe space certification or simply put a pride flag in the window or the door of your store, you're going to get more business from the queer community and from its allies. I remember when I was in New York, uh, we went to a bunch of us went for lunch one day and, you know, we just picked one of the first places that we saw. One of the first things I noticed when we walked in to ask for a table on the patio was there's a giant pride flag hanging up right beside the counter. The second you walk in, you can't help but notice it. And instantly I just, you know, huge smile on my face, you know, oh, I'm so happy guys. We picked the right place. This is definitely something that I want to support. So, you know, there's definitely... A financial impact to that as well. Hopefully people do it just because it's the right thing to do and thinking about their customers and their employees. But you know, it should definitely be noted there is definitely a financial impact as well. So uh, speaking a bit about the Stonewall Gives Back initiative, this ties perfectly into our warm fuzzies uh, from this week. Uh, Crystal, I know you had a very interesting one that you shared with me this morning. Yeah, I did. So I read this article. The The full name um, of the article is way more common than people realize how some in MLB are bringing mental health into focus. Uh, this is on The Athletic. So if you do have a subscription, please go read it. Um, but it, it was just, it was incredibly powerful. It talked about so many different players who have dealt with mental health issues, have dealt with the employee assistant program and how little it's offered by most teams and how hard it is to just get, you know, when you're like regular nine to five. Um, but it really highlighted a lot of these players and a lot of things that they said and have struggled with, you know, with their mental health, with their depression, with suicidal ideations. And it kind of talks about, you know, what the league is doing right, but also what the league is doing wrong, but it did, you know, it kind of starts with, um, Daniel Bard. He's the, uh, Rockies relief pitcher. Um, and you know, he spoke out back in March that he was starting the season on the injured list because he was dealing with really bad anxiety. And, you know, it, 
it was greeted with acceptance, which was wonderful. And he mentions how he's had probably hundreds of messages saying like, hey, thank you for speaking out. I've gone through something similar. Um, and I mean, we, we talk about Austin Meadows, who yeah. was another very recent person to go on the IL or Trevor May. You know, all of these people have dealt with it and some of it ties into the pandemic and how, you know, exhausting and draining that really was. But some of it is just generalized anxiety. You know, I've, I've got generalized anxiety. So it was just a really good, sad, but also like a really good feel-good article to understand that these guys are recognizing it and that it is being a little more talked about and a bit more socially acceptable, which is a weird way of putting it. But like, it's, it's good that these players are coming out and talking about it and kind of breaking that stigma Yeah, because I know, especially with men, it mental health and men, it's just, there's a long way to go for that to be more normalized. So the fact that, you know, these these tough baseball players are out there saying, yeah, I deal with anxiety or I deal with depression or I've thought about hurting myself before, to know that they're speaking out and to know that people are going through it and you're not alone in this battle is just exactly what we need more of. Definitely. Yeah, it's something we talked about quite a bit before in our episode on mental health, about some of the names that you've mentioned and there's definitely so much more that we could have talked about in that episode and we'll likely talk about in future episodes. It's really great to see that this is a conversation that's starting to be had more because as is true of almost any issue, it's very difficult to solve a problem if people are unwilling to talk about it. So having these discussions, writing these articles, this is where it starts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so for my warm fuzzy this week, I chose the New York Yankees, uh, which is very shocking to many people, I'm sure, as a very large Jays fan. Um, but I had such an incredible time at Yankee Stadium. And one of the things that made me so happy and excited when I first got there uh, was that I, I went to the Yankees store deciding that it's an off day for the Blue Jays. I'm allowed to wear one piece of Yankees merch. I still had my Blue Jays shirt, my Blue Jays socks on. Uh, anybody that knows me knows I'm basically always wearing something Blue Jays. But yeah, the hat I'm wearing right now, if you can see on YouTube, it's a Yankees pride hat. And this was just a run-of-the-mill game in the middle of May. This was not their pride night. This was not even during pride month. Um, I was absolutely ecstatic just walking into the store looking for something to wear at the game something to have as a souvenir to take home i'm the kind of person i always like to grab something from a game especially when i'm at a new ballpark to have a little memento to have something to remember the game by and seeing that pride hat instantly had me light up and think this is something that i have to share as a part of our warm fuzzies for this week because it just warmed my heart to see the Yankees not only making the effort to be inclusive, but seeing that as a 365-day-a-year battle and something that they are committed to year-round. I really think it's something that more teams need to 
take to heart. I know for my Blue Jays, um, they do have Pride merch and we have our Pride nights and those nights are always sellout crowds and it's an amazing time and they come up with these incredible giveaways. However, the Jays don't offer their Pride merch year round. If you were to walk in for a Jays game this weekend at the Sky Dome, you're not going to be able to buy that merch. You'd have to go either online to the team store and then you can get it through the team store that way. Or you go to eBay and you try and track down some of those giveaways like I have over the years. It's something I think the Jays need to do better. And I was just so, so happy to see that the Yankees were doing it. And I know we were talking before the podcast, you mentioned that the Chicago White Sox also offer their some of their pride merch year round. It's like we talked about earlier in the podcast. It's a very small thing that somebody decided to do and to voice an opinion that this is important. And it just had such a large impact walking into that store, seeing the pride hat, being able to wear that and, you know, wa- walking out of the ballpark. I got a couple compliments from people that, you know, oh, Hey, I like your hat. Like just, you know, it's the smallest thing, but it can go such a long way. Yeah, for sure. I am appreciative that, you know, the white Sox do actually, do a lot for Pride Night and they are more queer friendly. Like they you can always get a at least a, a Pride hat at their team store. And they, you know, usually put out a lot more in the month of June ahead of the Pride game. But like last year they had commissioned an artist to make this like really cool Pride shirt that was one of the giveaways. So I had to get there early to snatch that. But you know, it is nice when teams can actually be inclusive of their fan base. For sure. And it definitely lands with the fans. So I'll just give a quick second warm fuzzy here just to give a shout out to the entire Pitcher List family, everyone that I got to meet that came to the meetup or to the Mets game. It, it was so great to meet everyone. I had the most amazing time in New York. Um, so thank you to everyone that came out for that, everyone that was involved in planning the meetup. I know there was Brendan from the commissioner that Nick was in touch with, Miles Nelson, of course, from Petrolist that uh, helped plan some of that and helped me find people when I got lost at City Field because I'm now 0 for 2 finding my way to New York ballparks. Everybody that was, you know, anybody else that I'm forgetting that was a part of this and making this happen, uh, this was just such an incredible week for me. So I wanted to give a special warm fuzzy to all the people that made that happen. It was so great to finally get to meet everybody in person. Yeah, for sure. I can't, I can't wait. I really only get to hang out with Jordan. Love you, Jordan. Yeah, it was great to get to meet Jordan at the meetup and far too many people to even name. Like I said before, people that I know in the discord and people that I hadn't actually spoken to before in the discord and will definitely, you know, be talking to much more often going forward. So that was something that I just really wanted to give a shout out to. Anyways, we hope you enjoyed listening to our deep dive on the Stonewall Inn today. As always, be sure to follow us. You can find the podcast on Twitter at the Outpitch Pod, myself at Havelock Justin, and Crystal at Crystal underscore OK. Remember to follow PitcherList on Twitter and Instagram as well at PitcherList. Uh, you can find all of the links and handles that we've talked about in the podcast below in the description, wherever you're getting your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to click follow or subscribe. If you can, please take the time to rate and review us either on your uh, podcast platform of choice or 
in the mailbag question slash feedback Google form that I've put out and I'll make sure to retweet uh, once this episode goes live. We really want to hear your feedback, to hear your thoughts about the podcast, ideas for future episodes, just any general questions that you may have for Crystal Eye as well. So please definitely take the time to check that out if you get a chance. Thank you for listening to the Outpitch podcast and we'll catch you next week.